1: Welcome to the Game Podcast, I'm Gabriel Marcotti and this week I'm joined by Tony Cascarino, Oliver Kay, and another debutant. yes we're pushing the boat out here it's Mr. Tom Dart we'll be discussing all the biggest action from the weekend including Fulham against Manchester United and Stoke against Tottenham Hotspur also, the plight of lower league managers why do they never get a look-in in the top flight and there may well be the odd reference to one of the weekend's goal as well All right, let's kick it off at the Cottage, um, Fulham and Manchester United. And I, I got to start with something. The game finished 2-2, but should we have, and I've been criticized because I'm not necessarily his biggest fan, a bit of an appreciation of Paul Scholes for the technique in taking that goal? Uh, admittedly, it wasn't really good defending, but it was about as clean as you can strike it, right, Ollie?
0: a perfect strike it was I mean if if there's one person in uh, certainly in English football that you would want running onto a ball like that 25 yards from goal it would be Scholes he's got the technique to keep the ball down in those situations he's done it so many times down the years and I think there's a bit of a Paul Scholes love in it at the moment um, which is probably um, sort of belated uh, sort of recognition of how, how, how what a great player he is. I don't think he's been doing anything um, particularly that he hasn't been doing for years, but um, I suppose uh, this being goals, I think he'll probably be thoroughly sick of it and might be relieved that his wasn't the winning goal in some way.
1: Uh, Cass, can you just walk us through it, uh, just from a technical aspect, hmm. what he actually did, what, what you need to do to strike the ball that cleanly? Um, and don't tell me you didn't score many goals like that because <laughs> I still know your, your technique is probably better than the rest of us.
3: Um... Well first it's it's a it's a very similar to a golfing action where you're getting yourself in position as it falls to skulls, he's totally fixed and his eye line is level, he keeps his he keeps his body shape low, which keeps the ball down, he doesn't fall back at any time. I mean he struck it knowing that he had to get over the top of the ball, meaning to keep the ball down and keep it low. Paul Skulls is probably apart from Dennis Irwin, probably the cleanest striker of a football I've ever seen, um he's done it a numerous I can remember a goal at Villa Park similar just falls to him he manages to get into perfect position in his you know the way he's going to attempt to try and strike it so cleanly he does it brilliantly keeping it down is the hardest thing as the ball's coming at you because it comes at him at pace doesn't it when it gets played back it comes at him at pace and comes firmly onto it everything's over the top of the ball keeping it low
1: uh, Tama United, I thought, dominated the game um, early on, and you know, and then there was the incident with with the missed penalty. Was was that sort of the, the turning point for you?
2: Yeah, just for sure. If they if they score that penalty, they go on and win comfortably. Uh, instead, they let Fulham back in the game, and uh, uh, of course, when you miss a penalty, you give uh, encouragement and a surge of adrenaline and belief to the other side, while you yourself uh, are on a bit of a downer. So definitely.
1: Now Wayne Rooney missed out obviously Um, he had a stomach bug I was just kind of thinking about this because United don't have a game in in midweek and I'm assuming that you know he was without getting too gross he was probably on the bathroom because that's normally a byword for for what he had was he really in no condition to play any suggestion there might have been something else going on Ollie?
0: Um, I think you get lots of conspiratorial whispers in those kind of situations, but um, no. Apparently, he was he was ruled out on Saturday morning with the with the problem, and I, I see what you're getting at in saying you know that that was almost thirty six hours ahead of the game, and is it really necessary to rule him out? Um, I haven't heard of anything um, mm. to make me disbelieve um, Ferguson on, on that, apart from the fact that Ferguson has a um, sort of track record of being rather selective with the truth, but I, I, I don't no. think. Um, I don't think he's been bombed from a squad or anything like that
3: lots of players only do you know, play with tum- uh, ups- uh, tummy upsets, um, a bug of some sort. Um, normally with, with the way that medicine's gone on, you can quickly eradicate any type of problem. Um, I just think that maybe if it was that close, and because it was the morning of the game, maybe Fergie thought... It was the morning before
1: d- the game. Morning
3: before, well it that was, is... That's well, what Ollie well, said Saturday morning. Oh, oh, okay. Well then that's really strange because 24 hours for a bug and a tummy upset is ample enough time to get ready for a game. And but we're, it, we're, it, Sorry, I I was
0: just going to say there was a rumor going around on Saturday night that there may be a hamstring problem. Um, mm. I haven't had that um, sort of corroborated by anybody, but I mean, it's that's maybe just a, a you know an alternative theory. But uh, of course, how can we doubt the word of,
3: of Sir yeah. Alex? Well, what the thing is is that Wayne has been totally out of sorts, hasn't he? For a long time, even the end of last season. Maybe Fergie just thought, you know, I'll tell you what, I'll have a look at Hernandez in this particular game. Might take Wayne out of the firing line. Just to not give him a kick up the backside, but he's certainly for... I'd say probably 10 games has been very, very indifferent for Man United and country.
1: And I think statistically, I think he's, he's scored, I think, since uh, since March mm. at this stage. Uh, although, to be fair, of course, there was the, the World Cup in the summer in between. But um, uh, these are obviously two points drop for United. Chelsea are rolling on. And what struck me was, you know, we always throw out this cliche about big clubs, knowing how to close out games and so on. You give up that last, you know, virtually last minute goal to 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 braid a um, Tom. What's your take? Did, do we blame the Do we blame the the defenders? Is is it a collective letdown? Is that you know had the momentum shifted by that point?
2: I think uh, United's defense uh, is a concern without Rio Ferdinand for another couple of weeks. Uh, I think they're going to continue to look shaky. I think you can say it's uh, only the second game of the season. Uh, Craven Cottage, uh, despite being very small, is a surprisingly difficult place to go to. Where when the, F- the Fulham fans get behind their team, it can be uh, surprisingly intimidating and lively. So it's mm. not always easy. United struggled there in the past couple of seasons. So uh, I think uh, there are maybe some mitigating circumstances. And as I said, the missed penalty was crucial. But mm. uh, United don't look completely solid and. Uh, uh, if they're not going to score two or three uh, every game, I think they could uh, they could well uh, have a, this scenario again where they drop a few more points on the road.
3: Well, what concerns me, Tom, is Vidic is not the player he was two years ago. If you look at him, he's continually trying to foul. He's trying to grab people's shirts, and he's trying to get close to them. For the goal, Hangeland, he's the one. I know he gets in front of Berbatov in the end, but that was his player. Hangeland was his player. And he's been out-jumped quite a few times. Is
1: that what happens when you sign a fat new contract,
3: Cass? Ah, uh, <laughs> especially young lads if they sign big deals you're guaranteed the new car comes in the car park and uh, their performances will go to you know a lesser level but I I would certainly be concerned Vidic is not the dominating figure he was probably 18 months, two years ago for me.
2: Well, is Johnny Evans going to kick on as well? Yeah. Yet, or is, he, is he really going to be the player we thought he was going to be three or four years ago?
1: Now, let's talk about Fulham. The new Fulham to me looks a lot like the old Fulham, maybe because it's all the same player, uh, players uh, 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 until Dembele gets... who I actually really like as a signing and I think is exactly what the doctor ordered until he gets into the team. Um, it seems to be Mark Hughes has been there all summer, but he, he hasn't really had a chance to go and, 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 and do much wheeling and dealing, yeah. has he? Uh, is, is is Sparky a little bit annoyed, Cass?
3: Um, No, I think he, he's come and done the right thing in the football club. He hasn't tried to do too much of a dramatic change. I think he will try and do something before the window closes. I think he also acknowledge that the group overachieved to some level last year and keeping well, they're finishing
1: 13th well, in the I, league
3: I, I'm talking over the course of the season Roy Hutchin done a hell of a job they were great at Craven Cottage as we all know on the road that's a different question but what he's he, I think he's looked at is i tell you what I'll keep this I'll give everyone the same opportunity keep this group together and I'll add one or two to it and a, a and I think it needs a bit of work, which it will do, like all clubs. He will add additions to the club. But I think he's done a really clever thing in just coming in and not making the old usual, they're not fit enough, or I need to do this, I need to go and buy him. I think he's just assessing everything at the football club.
1: Tom, we've got to give a shout-out to uh, to Stockdale, who, of course, uh, saved that, that penalty. Are, are you buying Cass's line here about, about Fulham? Is there any... You know, is, is is Mark Hughes where he wants to be?
2: Well, I think he may have recognised that the key to Fulham's uh, success last year and in getting into the Europa League final, uh, while staying in mid-table, was that collective spirit uh, and also picking the same team more or less every week. The familiarity of that was was a key element to the success. If Hughes were to start uh, chopping and changing, radically tinkering with the tactics and bringing a lot of new players, and and uh, Really having a lot of changes, I think that would actually damage film and especially with limited uh, transfer funds available. I think he's doing the right thing by adding piecemeal here and there, trying to strengthen rather than uh, trying to radically transform a team that uh, is, is still very solid and should be very solid this season as well.
1: Moving on to because uh, we wouldn't be a game podcast without us talking about referees, would it now? In refereeing controversy and a. Stoke and Tottenham, let's just get this out of the way. Uh, John Walters, late in the game, he could score the the equalizer. His finish is blocked by Peter Crouch on the line. There may have been a foul before on Gomez, um, but the point being that Crouch saves it. Um, And there's a whole debate about whether the ball actually crossed the line. Chris Foy is very well fa- uh, very well placed to, to judge it, and he reckons the ball didn't go through. Now, was interesting, because I was watching Match of the Day, and they made it seem as if it was like Frank Lampard's goal, and yeah. it was obvious that it crossed the line. Sh- sure as hell didn't seem obvious to me, Tony.
3: Yeah, I'll tell you what really peed me off over the weekend was I was listening to a number of pandits, commentators, um, assessing that this is a goal, or, and, and me- a, a, I had the word maybe, After watching the replay, oh, maybe it's over the line, and then people saying, "Yes, I think it's over the line." Well, a referee has got to make a decision. If that whole ball is not over the line, he's not convinced. If he has any negative thought that it did not fully cross the line, he cannot give a goal. And yet, we was listening to everybody. We're watching. I was watching the um, goals on Sunday, and they're the line. Chris Kamara's, you know, doing body showing body positions and how it must have crossed the line. I'm thinking, hold it! A referee's got a split second to make a judgment of whether this was over the line. He has to be convinced, and like you just... I'm glad you just mentioned that. This is nowhere near a Frankie Lampard ball over the line. This was well, This was such a touch decision. I didn't know. I watched it on replays and I still don't know. That means it's not a goal.
1: Ollie, are, are Cass and I a bit slow that we can't see that the ball crossed the line, or are you with us?
3: No, I'm with you. I'm with you.
0: And uh, I, again, I was, I was expecting it from, from what I heard on the radio. I was expecting it to be uh, sort of... Uh, Pedro Mendes at Old Trafford, Frank Lampard type thing, and it it wasn't of that type. I mean, it it may well have gone over the line, but but I couldn't see it from the position the TV cameras gave us. Um, The referee couldn't see it from the position he was in, and I I can understand why it wasn't given as a goal. And I guess that will get people saying, "Well, that proves that there should be goal line technology or whatever." And um, I say that uh, certainly an extra pair of eyes, the the, the old Michel Platini idea, would be.
2: you know I think that
1: would have resolved it would it not Tom any dissent from you
2: Uh, well I'm not sure that uh, having uh, having an extra assistant referee behind the goal line would have uh, made any difference to this uh, the bodies in the way would have uh, perhaps prevented him from seeing it and if if Chris Foy can't see it from where he's clearly or with certainty from where he's standing then then no one can because Foy's position was completely perfect so um, it just uh, illustrates the difficulty if you have the referee in a great position five yards away you can't tell and then we look at it on the replays you know, several different angles look at it again and again and we still can't tell uh, it just uh, shows this is uh, even maybe replays won't be able to solve the problem unless perhaps there was a camera looking straight down on the goal line uh, from you know
1: the top of the crossbar Uh, Ali, until a year ago Gareth Bale was some kind of laughing stock, we had that funny statistic that like, you know, they played 21 games or whatever it was for Spurs and they'd never won when he was in the starting lineup and so on I know he's had injuries but we can't really have it both ways here he's either not that good or we and the coaching staff are kind of stupid and not realizing how good he was, right?
0: Well, I think players just, you know, but players develop confidence. Players develop at different paces, and sometimes a penny can just drop, and a player just goes on, a, on you know, on an incredible roll, and they go from potentially a good player into, into an extremely good player almost overnight. And I think that, I mean, that almost. Is what happened with Cristiano Ronaldo to to some extent at Manchester United. I'm not really comparing Bale with Ronaldo at this point, but the um, the transformation has been sort of similar to the Ronaldo transformation of three, four years ago. But
1: Ronaldo was never a laughing stock, though.
0: Well, he he was in a different way because everyone we you know we used to go on about him being a crybaby and a diver and the, the the ludicrous stepovers and so on. And I, I mean, I just mentioned Ronaldo because we you know we're just talking about young players, the penny dropping them suddenly looking like fulfilling fulfilling their potential. And Bale just seems to have got his head right. He seems to have bulked up. He seems to have been um, encouraged and indulged by Harry Redknapp. But just looking at Harry Redknapp's quotes in the paper this morning. Harry Redknapp says that his um, sort of man management extended to just telling him, stop effing about with your Barnett, which um, just goes to show, I mean, uh, maybe it's sort of inverse Samson effect.
1: Tom, is this, uh, uh, should we be giving credit to Harry Redknapp for, for, for taking Gareth Bale to this level, or should we be questioning why it took so long? Because, I mean, Spurs did uh, Redknapp didn't buy him, but Spurs did spend a lot of money on this kid when he was very young and it was obvious uh, that, that he had the skill set.
2: Uh, I think uh, we have to give uh, credit to Harry Redknapp for bringing him on, for, for playing him uh, regularly and uh, uh, for helping him develop. Uh, as, as Ollie said, it's uh, perhaps open for debate just how much uh, tactical genius mm. Redknapp has uh, uh, has uh, helped along Bale with, but uh, and I suppose a lot of it you know, as Bale has matured and got o- got older. Naturally, he's uh, he's got better. He's had injury problems as well, which seem uh, seem over now. So I, th- I imagine it's a combination of good management and coaching, and from how he read up, and also the player himself uh, uh, developing uh, as he's got older.
0: But he's only twenty. He's only just 21. If you look at him, him having signed when he was just 18 or, or maybe just before he was 18 from Southampton, I don't think anybody would really have expected him to be a first-team player for those first couple of years. I think it was all about him developing and, and, and then maturing into, into the kind of player he is. It's probably rare that somebody actually falls into that category and falls into that um, sort of... Um, that time frame of of really developing at the age of 21 22 making that jump and and progressing in that way but if you look at it it's not uh, that, that, he, he's just done what probably um damien camoli would have expected or hoped that he did when he signed him
3: when i was 18 if i compared to type of player i was by the time i made the late 20s you do some daft things when we're young and I'm not saying Gareth Barry's done, or Gareth Bale's done these, but many have. Um, you totally mature. Your highs and lows are. It is a real roller coaster ride as a younger player. Theo Walcott, I'd, I'd argue in a similar way, it's going to be a roller coaster ride for him. Yeah. But like Ollie said, just 21 coming up, you, you know, what are we expecting? I will tell you well, what, he'll be a far better player by his mid 20s and late 20s, and more consistent uh, than the ups and downs of a young player.
1: Oh, one other point on Spurs: uh, uh, William Gallis. Thumbs up or thumbs down? Quickly, Cass. Thumbs down. Ollie.
0: If he plays all the time, thumbs up. Tom. Thumbs down.
1: And for me, thumbs up. I love me some William Gallis. Uh, Stoke. Uh, the, now, okay, we talk about bad luck and injuries. I, I got the sense, I mean, he's, they spent a lot of money this summer on, on Kenwin Jones. Uh, the guy gets hurt. I spent a lot of money on, on John Walters, who, which surprised me a little bit. I mean, nearly $3 million for, for a guy mid-career um, mm-hmm. from Ipswich. Um, is this the season that Stoke were supposed to, supposed to kick on a little bit? Was that the idea? Because they look a lot like last year's team.
3: Mm, I, I think Tony Pulis is just trying to consolidate and then add to the group and just slightly, you know, nips and tucks here. I think he'd be delighted if he got to mid-table. I think Stoke are, are, are a particular side that very few play like in, in Premiership football. Um, um, you might argue Gab that they're not as direct but every time I watch them things are coming in ev- from everywhere at the box I mean they had a big, Sidibe got injured didn't he which yep. is a bit of a blow, he's out all season if they lose Kenwin Jones then they're running out of numbers but he always buys big centre forwards and just launches the thing in um, it's a it's a strange one, I'm not, I was, I'm was. i surprised that, that them getting beat at Wolves and then getting beaten at home by Tottenham, that's really made me think a little bit differently about Stoke than from last year. Oli,
1: With Jones, apart from the fact that they probably have the same sh- suit size, they're sort of different type of players. And, and and maybe that's what got me thinking. Maybe Pulis is trying to do things slightly differently. Am I wrong?
0: Um, yeah, I think I think Jones is a bit more mobile, a bit more um, technical, perhaps. I don't think he's quite got the aggression that you'd expect of, some of the, um, somebody his size. But I, I think, um, I mean, you look at the signing of Tunchai, um, uh, a year ago, i mean Tunchai, ricardo fuller matthew etherington they 're not they 're not they 're not um you know big bruisers or brutes that can 't kick a ball it' i mean I think gradually as they as they 've become a little bit more at home in the Premier League, I think they have started to try to move in that direction they 're not going to sacrifice what they 're good at but they 're going but they 're going to try to become a little bit more expansive yet um I think they'll, they'll still try to play to their strengths. I think it's the natural thing to do. I, I, I don't really have an issue with it, and I don't think um, I don't think a poor start to the season will um, really persist.
1: All right, on to our debate this week. Um and we're going to talk managers now. Aston Villa, of course, looking for uh, looking for a new manager. I, I, I was amused by the fact that sort of immediately after Martin O'Neill decided to, to, to part ways with the club on August ninth, there was a list out from the, from the bookies with a bunch of names on there, which shocked me because, as far as I knew, you know, this was completely unplanned, and Randy Lerner and and, and his folks you know, didn't have a plan B, but. Uh, it, Obviously, they've got a managerial hunt on now. Kevin McDonald's liked by a lot of people, but it was obviously had ups and downs, more downs this weekend. Um, what I'm curious about is these names that are being mentioned. We've had Bob Bradley, who spoke very openly to the media uh, this weekend on Five Live. Of course, Bob Bradley's contract with the U.S. Soccer Federation is expiring in December, and he's looking mm-hmm. for a renewal, which I'm sure might have something to do with it. But uh, what what strikes me is, all these names are sort of, sort of seem to be out of work, big names or people from people from abroad. And I hearken back to the days when, you know, Ron Atkinson starts out at a small club in the lower division. Sir Alex Ferguson starts out at a small club in the lower division. Graham Taylor, same thing. Um, are the managers in the championship just a whole bunch of absolute dross, and so it's not worth anybody trying to promote from the championship?
3: No, they're not. Um, there's some really good managers in the championship that have done amazing jobs. I mean, I, I, my old club, Kenny Jackett at Millwall, I think Ian Atkins at Scumforp has done brilliant keeping them in that level. I think it's just totally, it's like fashionable, where you have to name someone that appease the fl- fans that's the problem these managers are not getting a look in uh, in the championship level because it's not an exciting transfer I'm Not putting bums on seats and I think um, one thing I would say Gab I think that Randy Lerner wanted Mark Hughes and I think that the timing of the incoming and outgoings of Martin O'Neill was determined by Hughes taking the Fulham job I think Martin O'Neill had got a the smell that Hughes was going to Villa Park and I, I think it all came together um, so that's an interesting and sp- that surprise that's yeah. why he's when you mentioned Randy Lerner and it looks like they didn't know where they were going I think they were taken back by O'Neill leaving well, like he did
1: I mean that's an you spin on things but it kind of supports the issue here because Randy Lerner his yeah. first thought is, ooh, O'Neill might leave. Oh, alright, who is the best possible unattached manager who's played for the biggest possible, who's coached the biggest possible club in England that I can get? Ah, it's Mark Hughes. So that's why we, we get this sort of this churn of, mm. of, of the same guys. Yeah. Um, Ollie, when I think back, with the exception of Roberto Martinez at Wigan and and Paul Ince at Blackburn, The last manager without Premier League experience to be taken out of the Championship and into the Premier League was David Moyes, um, who I believe is actually the third longest serving manager in the Premier League. So that must be a good seven or eight years ago. Um, What's happened?
0: Um, I, I think even when at the time when Everton appointed Moyes, who was at who, who was at Preston at the time, I, I think that was seen as quite a departure from fr- from the way clubs had been doing things at the time. And you, look, you looked at Chelsea appointing Viali and then uh, Ranieri, you know, around a similar time, and you know there was very much a a trend towards um, what I think uh, I can't remember who, who referred to them as designer managers, and I think Moyes went against that. Um, you know, went against that trend, and you would have to say that he's been one of the greatest managerial appointments of the past 10 years. If you look down into the championship, you see people like Paul Lambert at Norwich, who's an excellent manager, Sean O'Briscoll, uh people like that. Even, I mean, someone like Dave Jones at Cardiff, who's, you know, an extremely good manager, but... I think if we're looking for for a club to take a chance on on one of these managers, I don't think it's necessarily going to be um, Aston Villa, who are who are owned by an American who's fairly hands on without necessarily um, having a great grasp on uh, on English football, um, and uh, who have got a chief executive Paul Faulkner, who I'm told is very good, but hasn't you know isn't really an experienced football person, so. In some ways, it would be a surprise if they were to go down that route.
1: Hey, Tom, what gets me, though, is, I mean, if, if we're going to come out and say that, that guys like Sean O'Driscoll or, or Simon Grayson, who's also been mentioned by some of us romantics, um, would be a big gamble, wouldn't a guy like Bob Bradley, who... Um, why my ad has never ever ever been in a position to buy and sell players and make the kind of decisions a manager is asked to do in this country He's always had a a general manager director of football above him wouldn't he be an even bigger gamble
2: for sure he'd be uh, exactly as you say an even bigger gamble Uh, he's not even uh, not even got the greatest reputations in the united states Uh, a lot of people in the in the states are perhaps hoping that he doesn't stay on as their manager and US uh, were okay in the World Cup but uh, not exceptional perhaps uh, a bit disappointing they didn't get further and almost didn't make it beyond the group stages. so I'm not sure that Bob Bradley has done enough as US manager to warrant taking charge of a top six top eight Premier League mm-hmm. club without uh, going to a championship club first and then uh, proving himself in English club football
0: I mean there's a, there's a similar thing really in, in terms of the, the, the foreign managers that, that, that we talk about they're, they're only you know, they're only really um, mm. the guys who get interviewed for these jobs. They're only the sort of Ronald Koeman's and Didier Deschamps. Yeah. Martin Yole seemed a bit of a left field appointment to some extent when he got Spurs initially as a coaching job, not as a not as a manager's job. Um, so, I mean, I, I think we're a bit narrow minded generally in this country about, about yeah. the, the managers that we that we think about. If you, if you think of the idea of um, Villa picking from a supposed shortlist of Ericsson, Kerbishley, um Bob Bradley—it <laughs> just seems, it just mm. seems bizarre. But um, it wouldn't really surprise me if they ended up picking from that list. It, it seems almost that the names in the bookmakers are the, are the, yeah. board, are the boards and the, and the media's first um, port of call in terms of who they take out for a job
3: What surprises me Oli and you know Tom Gab in football is like take West Ham when Zola went there, yes a great name and a great player, but down the road in Dagenham, John Steele had an amazing time with Dagenham and Regbridge, turned them into a club, but that would not go down well with anybody media, fans, the club he wouldn't seem to have the character and yet, that is typical of football all over the country in England. Yes, it might be not a great choice. You might look and think, oh, yeah. Dagenham and West Ham. But why do top players who have got no management experience get given jobs far more than guys who have been on the road and done a, an amazing job at many, many different clubs, keeping them afloat and keeping them going? Well,
1: uh, well, I'll throw it back to you because an argument that I often hear, and it usually comes from people who... We're never professional footballers, uh, so it's great to have you here to, to fill me in. Is that? Oh, but unless you got a big name, then the uh, then the players wouldn't respect them. I mean, oh, well, if if you brought in. I don't know, like, like Atkins, Ian Atkins, then, uh, well, but Ashley Young and Gabby Bonahor might not respect them because they'd be Tough. like, who the hell are you? Tough. They're, but does well, it really work? I mean, well, well, you, you, you've played for some pretty famous managers uh, well, and, and, and sa- some, some no-names. I mean, God, wh- didn't how does Alex,
3: Alex Ferguson have the same player walking into the dressing room at Manchester United. Well, what, what gets me
1: here, and, and, and this is my appeal to you, Randy Lerner, is Villa are sort of in a unique position now in the sense that, realistically, it's gonna be very difficult for Villa to reach the top four this season. Mm. Um, you know, I think whoever they appoint. By the same token, Villa are gonna finish top 10. It's just not gonna happen that, that they won't. You know, regardless of who of, of who manages the club, so it seems to me that there's actually right now in this moment in time, there's a very limited downside to Villa going out and saying, hey, I will take a, a, a punt on a Sean O'Driscoll or, or Simon Grayson or, or, or Tisdale or, mm. or whoever that guy's and come out and say, you know what, you're going to come in. I'm going to give you a two year deal. It's not going to be for a lot of money because, you know, you are Simon Grayson or Sean O'Driscoll, so, you know, I don't have a big commitment to you. You show me that you can take all these, y- you know, good young players that, that Martin O'Neill has put together and that you can do a good job with them. If it doesn't work out, I mean, what happened to Blackburn after, after Paul Ince didn't work out? They got rid of him, they brought in Sam Allardyce, and they stayed up more or less comfortably. So clearly the downside to, to rolling the dice a little isn't that big. A- am I wrong, Tom? For Ali?
2: Oh, you're right. It'd be, a, it'd be a great thing to see and uh, it'd be brilliant for the reputation of the football league's managers if, uh, if that did happen and, and went well for Villa. Uh, I suppose uh, you could say that Lerner is uh, by the fact that he's thinking about appointing Kevin MacDonald the uh, youth coach uh, who is in with a, him with a good chance of becoming manager although uh, losing 6-0 to Newcastle was probably not going to do one of the three chances. I think Lerner is considering appointing a man with no managerial experience even though that is uh, someone from within the club so uh, that could be a that could be uh, perhaps a middle way between appointing a lower league manager and appointing a, a celebrity, uh, big name to, to give Kevin McDonald the job and uh, see how he does. And,
0: and let's not let's not forget that you know we're talking about a replacement for the supposedly irreplaceable Martin O'Neill, who, when Leicester City took a punt on him in nineteen ninety five, had uh, was sort of struggling to some extent at Norwich City, having just been sent you know plucked from um, Wickham Wanderers. So it's um, you know it t- teams have taken chances on managers down the years and it has worked and I I think um, you know I I, I would love I I would love to see um, Villa and Randy Lerner take take that approach that you talk of and and, and gamble to some extent on the best manager around but ideally not one who um, is famous chiefly because they had a good playing reputation
1: well, and that's what gets me ultimately to wrap this up is the fact that people say the stakes are too high, you can't you can't gamble on it. But what stakes? You're Aston Villa, you will finish in the top ten no matter what happens. And you know, there's just so many terrible teams in the Premier League that you can afford to roll the dice a little bit for something that can make you a lot better. All right, now time for what I like to call quick hits and my producer Skinner likes to call off the fence. We've changed things around this week, and because I'm in control, I shall be asking every single question. Kenny Wang, Wang, (laughs) that's funny, has blamed Martin Broughton, the Liverpool chairman, for the fact that he pulled out of his bid to buy the club. Uh, Ollie, does he have a point? And given that if a buyer isn't found in the next eight days, another £20 million will be piled onto the club's debt, which already stands at $237 How worrisome a time is this for Liverpool supporters?
0: I think it's an extremely worrying for football supporters. And, uh, I mean, I, th- I think there would have been worries even had Huang bought the club, and I, I think there were a lot of unanswered questions about that bid, which may or may not yet return to the table. But um, to me, you know, it seems increasingly like there might not be light at the end of the tunnel. I mean, there, there are suggestions that there are still buyers out there, credible buyers, but um, they'd better um, hurry up and make an offer because uh, it seems like they're not there at the moment.
1: Maybe David Morris can buy the club back. Andy Carroll scores a hat-trick as Newcastle demolished Villa 6-0. Franco Baldini, Fabio Capello's assistant, was in the stands. Cass, you know a thing or two about big target men. Is he ready now for an England call-up? And if not, what more does he need to do?
3: Well, because of Crouch certainly out of the frame now and then the retirement of Emil Hesky, um, I think he's got every chance of being in the next England squad. I thought he played well at Man United uh, on Monday night. I thought he gave Man United a few problems, could have got a goal. Um, he's got a hat-trick. He showed all the traits of you know, big, centre forward play I don't believe he's as slow as some people say he is Um, I think he's got a lot to offer and he has to improve the biggest problem is going to be Andy Carroll himself because I do believe he's a wild card Chelsea had their
1: own 6-0 victory pounding Wigan at the stadium formerly known as the JJB Tom can you please tell us just why Chelsea have got out of the gate so quickly this season
2: uh because they've played two terrible teams in the first two games. <laughs> so pretty much as simple fact. I actually think uh, beating Wigan six 0 was a pretty poor result for Chelsea. Uh, beat them eight nil in the last game of last season. So where's where's the improvement? They've actually gone backwards by by two goals. It took them thirty four minutes to get a shot on target uh, and, uh, when Maluda scored. Uh, so uh, and this is a team, a Wigan team that just lost four nil at home to Blackpool the week before. I think if I was Chelsea, I'd be a bit worried that it wasn't more like ten nil.
1: Kyle Ancelotti if you're listening to this your team's regressing please fix it and Tom Dart you got the bell treatment (laughs) wouldn't be complete without mentioning the other six nail as Arsenal trounced Blackpool Ollie the boy Walcott scored a hat trick has he turned the corner or is he still one of those guys who can only perform when he doesn't have to think about what he's doing on the pitch as certain pundits intimate
0: was that a 25 second question
1: You're eating into your own time, boy.
0: Okay. Uh, Well, I I think the danger, really, is is, is, is saying that everything's fantastic. The the pennies dropped. Walcott is now world class. He's learned from uh, being left out of the World Cup squad, etc. I thought this hat-trick on Saturday was excellent, but it it was all... um, you know, I'll be happier about Walcott and his long-term development when, it, when he's showing more, more uh, sort of incisive, intelligent, insightful wing play. Um, that's what he's still got to develop, and and that's what um, everybody will be looking for between now and the end of the season.
1: Mikel Arteta is now eligible to play for England based on residency. Some preston born irishmen Irishman-turned-pundits say it wouldn't be
3: right. Cass, what does a Kent-born Irishman like yourself have to say about it? Mm, I think this is pushing the boat way too far, Gab. Um, look, He obviously has no ancestry of being English. Um, I don't like the rule of playing in a country for a certain amount of time. It makes you eligible, so no, I'm pl- completely thumbs down. Only two weeks in, but
1: more than 20% of Premier League matches have finished with 6-0, scorelines. Tom, is this just a statistical quirk, or is there more than meets the eye?
2: I think you have to say that uh, Newcastle beating Villa 6-0 was uh, distinctly quirky. Uh, Otherwise, I think it's just a case of uh, very, very good established Premier League teams meeting poor new boys and uh, just demolishing them. Uh, I think uh, generally, though, you could argue whether... In the past couple of years in the Premier League and in football generally, we've seen attackers and forwards getting more skillful, quicker, more dangerous, but have defensive uh, qualities uh, improved as much? We get a lot of focus on defensive midfielders, but what about centre backs, are they really improving at the same level?
1: My personal view is no, we've got a lot of pretty awful defenders in this league.
3: Gad, one for you, tell us about Arsenal's new defender Sebastian Scalacci, who's undergoing a medical today. Uh, well, Cass, why don't you tell me about him since you actually played in France? Um, well, I get the bell treatment.
1: <laughs> <laughs> no. Well, look, Sebastian Scolacci uh, he got a lot of hype uh, earlier in his career. It was very promising. Uh, Monaco helped Monaco reach a Champions League final against uh, uh, the special one, Jose Mourinho. Then moved to Lyon, won a couple titles, then went to Seville. Had a bit of an up and down time in Seville. But look, the guy's got 21 caps for France. He's athletic. And uh, I think he has much-needed depth to the Arsenal defence. Cass, good job there, ringing the bell (laughs) that's all we've got time for today but you can go to www.thetimes.co.uk you'll find all the latest news some gossip, some columns, some opinions some blogs, all the transfer latest and of course transfer window about to wind down and also you can join us for our web chats Uh, Ollie Kay does one, Gary Jacob does one I do one every Monday So thanks for listening this week, and we'll catch you all next Monday. Take care. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen